Amen, and I'm glad to be in church today. Are you glad to be here if you are? Say amen. amen. Man, I'm glad you're here too. And today we're going to talk about the unclaimed riches of Christianity. Have you heard about that new website? My brother contacted me. I didn't know about this website. My brother contacted me and said, hey, did you know there's a website you can type in your information and find unclaimed uh, monies, unclaimed monies from you, Nevada website, where you can go in, type in your information, and it'll let you know if there are taxes that are due back to you, or a company owes you money, or whatever. How many of you have seen this, unclaimed money? How many of you know what I'm talking about? How many of you knew about this and you did not tell me, which is, it's, it's not, not, I didn't know. I went on, I found out, I found out that the Nevada government owed me $7.48. I know, and it took, it took like seven hours to get my money back, so it was well worth it. Fantastic news. Today's sermon is about just that, the unclaimed resources, the unclaimed wealth, the riches that are found in Jesus Christ that many Christians don't take advantage of. And we're not talking about $7.38 worth, we're talking about great Wealth in totality. In fact, we find ourselves in the sermon series Clue, Understanding the Mysteries of Grace, understanding the gospel through four primary uh, visual aids. And the very first one was, does anybody remember what the first one was? I don't want you to cheat. I want you to know from your memory what the first one was. What was it? A chair. Like seven of you. I'm holding a chair. The answer is the chair. Does anybody remember what it was? The chair, and we said that salvation is like this. Salvation is given by God's grace, and we receive it by faith, putting our full trust and weight in the gospel or in the death of Jesus Christ. So salvation is by grace through faith, and we studied this from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Then we picked up in verses 11 the following week to the end of the chapter, and we talked about the second clue that we have to understand the mystery of grace. Does anybody remember the second clue that we talked about two weeks ago? What was it? The goat. The goat. That's right, the goat. And we said that Jesus Christ was like the sacrifice of the Old Testament, the Lamb of God that take away the sins of the world. And we said that the goat had to be sacrificed in order that the people of God would be unified and purified. So we talked about the chair, the goat. And the third one was last week. Does anybody remember the third visual aid that we used to discuss the gospel last week? Does anybody remember what it was? The magnifying glass. And we said at the magnifying glass in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, that suffering happens, even for the believer. But the closer you look, the more you realize God knows what he's doing. Now that leads us to the final clue in understanding the mystery of grace. The final clue is what we call the diamond. Nope, no. No, you see, see, some of you believe that this is my job just to talk to you, and you got to do a little talking back. I expected an ooh or an ah, and if I don't see it, we're not moving forward. So here we go again. The fourth clue in the sermon series is the diamond. I know, I know, I know. It's unnecessary, really. <laughs> the diamond. This is not mine, first of all, not mine. It comes from Michael's personal collection, uh, number one. Number two, it's not real. Shocker. It's a piece of glass, but it is beautiful, isn't it? This symbolizes the wealth that we have in Jesus Christ, the diamond. And that's exactly what Ephesians chapter 3, verses number 14 through 21, want you to understand the great wealth that you have in Christ, the great riches we have in the family of God. 
And many of these riches are riches that we don't take full advantage of. Here's my goal. It's very simple today. My goal in today's sermon is for you to claim your inheritance. My goal is to, is to have you take that which is yours. My goal is to wake you up to the unclaimed riches that already belong to you. But what you must do is see them and then take advantage of them. So as we do, always let us pray and ask God's blessing upon our reading after I read these first verses. Look at what it says in verse 14 of chapter 3. Look at what it says. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family of heaven and earth is named. Here it is. That he would grant you, according to the riches, the riches of his glory. Father in heaven, my prayer today is that you would help all of us to see the riches of your glory and that we would have the realization and the understanding we already have access to them and entrance into them, but oftentimes we don't take advantage of them. I, I pray for my, my friends in this room. Some of them are heartbroken right now. Some of them are, are worried and anxious some of them are stressed out with anxiety. Some of them are lost without a clue, and they don't understand, some, some, some don't understand that so much of the answers that they're looking for are found in the riches of Christ. If we just open the vault and take them out, we can use them. Help us to do this. Even now, in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Anybody traveling yet? Anyone out there traveling? I know tra people are traveling to Vegas. Anybody have a plan this summer to go traveling? How many of you plan? Some of you are planning. You're like, I'm not, I'm not sure if I can admit it because I'm not sure if it's a political thing to travel yet, right? Maybe that's political now. How many of you are traveling this summer or would like to travel this summer like I am? Okay. Oh, oh that's better. Thank you. Some of you are like, I'm allowed to admit it. Okay. I'm traveling too. We're going to go with our family and do a little road trip. Uh, this summer. What if, you were, what if we were to travel together? Would that be fun? Thomas, Joe, you, maybe we travel together. Maybe, maybe we would travel on a cruise. Uh, some of you are like, oh, no, 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 not yet. It reminds me of the guy who took a cruise years ago. This man, amazing. This guy always wanted to take a cruise, but he didn't have the money to take a cruise. He always wanted to take a cruise since the days he saw a commercial of a cruise line when he was a child. He didn't have a lot of money as a child, nor did he have a lot of money as an adult, but he got a job and he started scrimping and saving and sacrificing so that he could bring all of his pennies and quarters and nickels and dimes and dollars together, put them in a jar, and the jar began to grow. Finally, he had enough money to purchase passage on a transatlantic 30-day cruise from New York City all the way to London, all the way throughout the Mediterranean in all of the spots you would want to stop. This was his opportunity. He took his bucket of money into the travel agent, put it down and said, I'm ready to buy a ticket. That's right. This story takes place 30 years ago when travel agents were a thing. All right, now, <laughs> puts it down. If you're a travel agent, I really apologize. No, seriously, I do apologize. Now, he puts the money down and he says, I want a cruise. Can you show me a brochure? Back when there were brochures and they started going through all the brochures and he spotted the cruise he wanted. He said, that's the one. He was excited, uh, uh, I mean, elated, I mean, I mean, next level, ready to go, but he was also a little saddened because as he looked at the brochures, there were all sorts of advertisements for the shows that would be shown, the Broadway shows and the, the music and the karaoke, and he realized though he had money to purchase the ticket for the cruise, he didn't have money for all of those shows. 
He's also a little saddened because he saw all of the food that was available, the beautiful buffets and the restaurants and all of the awesome things that he could be at. And he realized he didn't have the money just for the ticket, but not money enough for all of the food and the luxurious, luxurious food. So he said, that's okay, that's okay. He had the ticket, and that's all that really mattered because he really had two primary goals. Number one, he wanted to get to the destination. And number two, he just wanted to walk around the deck and be in the midst of the beautiful ocean. So that was good enough for him. So he packed his one bag filled with clothes, and he packed another bag filled with, well, he had to eat. He packed it with bread and peanut butter. And that was his plan. When he arrived on the cruise and entered into his little room, he put all of his clothes away and he took all of his bread and peanut butter and put it inside of the, inside of the cabinets and went and began to walk around the cruise ship. It was evening time and everybody was heading to dinner and so he got up and headed to his room, made himself a peanut butter and sa jelly sandwich and was happy. Went to bed that night, got up the next morning and enjoyed the cruise, enjoyed going to these places and finally they arrived in Europe day after day, saw all of the destinations and enjoyed the entire experience. But every night when everybody would go to dinner, he would go back to his room and make a peanut butter sandwich. When everybody else would go to the big shows, he would go and turn on his 10 inch by 10 inch screen and watch television as it fuzzed in and out. But he was happy because at least he got to go on the cruise. And it was a 30 day cruise and it was about day 26 to 27 when, when one of the friends he had made in the midst of the cruise, who every single night invited him to go with him, finally said to him, hey, why don't you come with us to dinner tonight? No, 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 I've got the room service, he would say. He said, yeah, but you say that every night. Why don't you come with us to dinner? Do you want to know the real reason? Yeah, like why? I mean, we're going to have a great time, and then we're going to go do karaoke, and we're going to have a great time tonight. Why don't you go with us? Look, man, I'm just glad to be here. I'm glad I was able to go to Europe, and I'm glad that I got to meet all these friends. But I only had enough money to book passage on the cruise. I didn't have money for all the food and all of the extras. To which his friend looked at him and said, didn't you know the cruise is all-inclusive? All of the food and all of the entertainment is free. All you have to do is come. It's part of the ticket. Do you know what I find most Christians doing? I find them living the Christian life, looking forward to the destination. They're going to heaven. And they're just happy to be on the cruise, like talking to other Christians and occasionally going to church. And they don't realize all that they're missing out on when it comes to the riches that they have in Christ Jesus. So today, I'm that guy. Today, I'm the guy who's coming to you saying, I don't know if you know about the karaoke. I don't know if you know about the buffet. I don't know if you know you have tickets to the steakhouse. I don't know if you know that you're missing out on the greatest part of the journey, the riches of Jesus Christ. And as we arrive in this passage, the Apostle Paul has the same heart for the church at Ephesus. He's saying there are things that you have, but you're not taking advantage of. Everything that you truly desire can be found in Christ. Say, in Christ. In Christ. 
Are you taking advantage of all that you have in Christ? Are you taking full advantage of all the gifts that you've been given in Christ? That's what we have to ask as we look at point number one. What is it that we have in this relationship with Christ? First and foremost, we'll see, number one, we have entrance into a global family. Say that together with me. Entrance into the global family. Say it one more time. Entrance into the global family. Look at what it says in verse number 14 and 15. For this reason, Paul says, I bow my knees to the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and in earth is named. Paul says, he's praying for the church, and he says, for this reason, what reason? That salvation is by grace through faith. For this reason, what reason? That the sacrifice of Jesus purified and unified God's people. For this reason, what reason, Paul? For the reason that the closer you look at your sufferings, the more we realize God knows what he's doing. For all of these reasons, Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the one who unifies the entire family of God in heaven and earth. Two words that are really important in this verse. Number one, father. Number two, family. And both of them are yours. Now, who is the only begotten son of the father? Who is the only begotten son of God? The answer is Jesus. Let's ask it again. Who is the only begotten son of God? Who is it? Jesus. Jesus. So some of you might say, well, God is the father of Jesus, but he's not my father. Yet, if you remember, Jesus told his disciples. Any disciples in the room? Any disciples of Jesus? You're not perfect, but you're a disciple, say amen. Amen. Jesus said to his disciples, when you pray, say, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Jesus said, if you're with me, he is your father also. Do do, do you understand? Do you understand? Do you understand what that means? There are people today who rightly so say, I can't get ahead in life, I didn't have a good father. And a lot of times they blame a lot of that, the fact they didn't have a good father. I thank God I had a good father. It's a a huge step forward to have a good father in life, Amen? amen? But friend, if you're a Christian here today, you have a father. And he's greater than any great father that's ever walked the face of this earth. God is our Father. In fact, specifically, the Bible says that God is a father to the fatherless more so than he is to anyone else. So God is our father, and the family of God is our family, both in heaven and earth. That means every Christian, any Christians here, say amen. amen. Any Christian who has ever lived is part of your family. Any Christian who ever will live is part of your family. We are the largest family group the world has ever seen. We are the spiritual family of God. What does that mean practically? Well, it means a lot practically. It means if we did travel together, you and I could literally go to a family reunion anywhere in the world. They're all part of us. See, I don't, I mean, I don't know anybody all over the world. No, literally, like quite literally, one of the coolest things about being a pastor is that I get to travel and I get to see different parts of the world. And you know what happens? Every Sunday, there's a mini family reunion in millions of locations all over the world. It's weird. It's happening all over the city. It's happening all over the state. It's happening all over the country, all over the world. On Sunday mornings, they get together. It's called church. What is it called? Say church. They get together every Sunday morning. That's what we're doing right now. Like, we could get on an airplane like my son and I did two years ago, and we could fly all the way to Australia, 
and we could get off in Australia, in Rockhampton, Australia, or Brisbane, or Sydney, and you know what we could do on a Sunday morning? You'd walk inside, and these people, they're singing the same songs to God that you're singing. They're praying the same prayers to God that you're praying. They're talking out of the same book that you're ta we're talking out of studying. And the Bible says they worship and serve the same Father that you, it's crazy. You could, we, together, John, we could then get on an airplane and fly to the, to the, to the islands of Vanuatu. Doesn't that sound nice? Say, what are they like? I mean, they're out in the middle of nowhere, really out in the middle. We flew to the islands of Vanuatu, and then from there, we flew to a, in a remote island called Espirito Santos. And we go all the way out there, arrived there, and then we got on a truck and we drove six hours into the middle of the jungle, not on a road, like in the jungle, not on a path. Sometimes we're going through the middle of a river to get to a jungle um, a village. And when we get to the village, do you know what happened? When we get to the village, this is what would happen if we went together. Thomas, Jill, you know what happened? We'd arrive in that village and the entire village would come out and greet us and then the Christians of that village would say, come with us and they would take us to their little church and the church we went to was about one half of this third of the auditorium and there's about 150 people smashed in there and they're all there worshiping the same God that you worship, reading from the same scripture you read from, studying and knowing more about God and you know what? They would do anything for us and we'd do anything for them, why? Because that's the concept of what the global family of God is like. Don't tell me about your global corporation that was created 60 years ago and has a few hundred branches. I'm part of a global family that was created 2,000 years ago and has millions of locations worldwide. And you're just like that part of that family. And so are we. I could take you and experience the same, we, you and I could drive down to Tijuana and we could be in, in church service this morning, same thing going on. We could go to the depths of Africa and see it there. We could cross over the Mediterranean and go, we could go to Egypt and see it in the Coptic church. We could cross over into Israel and worship with a group of Christians. We could cross the wall in Israel and go over to the Palestinians and worship with a group of Christians there. Then we could come all the way back to the United States, go to New York City. We could land in Manhattan. In Manhattan, I would take you to First Presbyterian Redeemer Church where, Heather, where my family and I worshiped a few years ago. And then we could get on a subway and go across the river and worship at the Brooklyn Tabernacle and hear their choir and hear the great preaching of Jim Cimbala. No matter where you go in the world, no matter where God calls you in the world, you can find a branch of the family doing a little mini family reunion every single Sunday. Do you know what that means? That means, hear me, that means you are not alone in this world. If you're a Christian and you feel alone, it's because you have forgotten that you're part of a big family and they're there for you as long as you start investing into the family. Getting an opportunity to talking to them, going to church, getting involved in a small group, giving your life over to them and them giving their life over to you. Don't you see the value of that? So here's my question. If this is your father and this is your family, how much time do you spend on your knees before your father? Just because you're part of the family doesn't mean that your father knows and wants, is, is, is able to give you, look, you have to go to the Father, this is how he set it up. You have to go to the Father and ask him for what you need. He has unlimited resources, but you have to develop that relationship and go to him. Does this make sense? So some of you need real help right now finishing out this school year. Go to the Father. Some of you need real help right now going into this summer knowing what you're supposed to, go to the Father. 
Some of you need real help right now in, in encouragement to bear one another's burdens. Then go to the family. What you've got to do is wake up to the great wealth you have to be a part of this global family. So invest in the family. I'll stop and practically say this because I didn't say this in the other services. So I feel God wants me to say this right now. Just because you're part of the family doesn't mean you've spent time investing in the family. Well, I wish I was part of the girl. You're born again, you're technically part, but you haven't been to a family reunion in years. Nobody knows you exist. Sometimes you sit in the back and you eat a little potato salad and you watch the family do the family games. My question is, why don't you get involved, jump in a small group, open up your life and say, family, help me. Amen? This is all part of your inheritance, if you want it. Number one, we are part of a global network that's beyond a network. It's called the family of God, and this is your gift. But you know what the devil wants to do? The enemy wants to steal that away from you and tell you that you are all alone in the world. Nobody cares you're alone. It's not true. It's not true. First of all, the riches we have in God, all that you have in this mystery of grace, number one, entrance into the global family. Number two, you have access, access to the unsearchable riches of Christ. I want you to say unsearchable riches. Say it with me, unsearchable riches. Say it again, say it again, unsearchable riches. If you go back last week, I told you to underline in chapter three in verse eight, the phrase unsearchable riches. What does that mean? It means that you have an incalculable amount of riches. In Christ, incalculables, try to say it. It's not easy. It means, it means you can't even count how much you have when it comes to Christ. Why does the Bible use this terminology? Look at verse 16. It says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. The riches of his glory is this. God owns the world and everything in it. His only son, Jesus Christ, has asked you to be his brother and sister, which means you own everything that God owns. This is what Jesus was talking about on the Sermon on the Mount when he said the meek will inherit the earth. It's not metaphoric, it's literal. The earth, everything belongs to us, the family of God, and forever will be. The Bible tells us all of it is God's and it's offerable to you. You cannot overdraft with God. Do you see? Another way to say it would be this. Have you ever gone to the ATM machine and you try to pull out a little money and it says insufficient funds? Has this ever happened to you? Nobody wants to admit it. Okay, well, it happens. Trust me. You say, how do I know, Pastor? Just trust me, it happens. Have you ever been out to dinner? You take your credit card, you give it to the guy, and you keep talking, they come back real sheepishly and they're like, uh, sir, um, there seems to be a problem. And you're like, oh, get you. oh my gosh. You know, you know what I'm talking about? You can't get it. Why? Insufficient. There's no insufficient funds with God. This is so important to grasp. You understand you have access to more wealth than Bill Gates would ever understand. More access to more wealth than Elon Musk could put his mind around for the next generation. You're wealthier than Mr. Beast. Do you understand what I'm saying? There we go. One kid. Okay, very good. Wealth. Now, the problem with this concept of riches as found in Ephesians chapter three is that we who live in the wealthiest nation misunderstand what true wealth is. Wealth does include green paper, shiny objects, and materials that if you shine them up, they sparkle. 
Wealth does include what we call money, yes. But wealth is far more than money. Wealth, at a certain level, equals, are you ready? This is a very deep concept, but here it is. Wealth, at a certain level, equals security. That's really all that heavy wealth is. What I mean by that is, no matter how wealthy you be, can become, no matter how many great pair, clothes or pairs of shoes you have at home, you can only wear one pair of shoes at a time. Have you ever tried wearing two? You look like a freak. Okay, so don't do it. You ever tried to wear more clothes than you should? You can only eat one meal at a time. You can only live. You can own 30 houses, but you can only live in one house at a time. You say, well, what are the other houses? The other houses are wealth, that is security. That is, if this house is gone, I've got others. If this meal is done, I've got others. And if this clothes are gone, I've got others. But really, what wealth is at a certain level is merely security for the future. So when God talks to us about wealth, he talks to us in terms of security of your mind, your emotions, your will, and your future. He's talking about what we really need, love, joy, and peace after our basic needs are met. This is exactly where he goes as he talks about the great riches of Christ. We see it in four different ways. First, he talks about the wealth of inner strength. You tell me you wouldn't want to have inner strength. You say, what do you mean? Look what it says in verse 16. He says, that he would grant unto you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. The first thing he mentions about wealth is not money. He says you have wealth in being strengthened in your inner man. Some of you are, are, uh, are grasping what I mean by this. It means that deep inside of you, you have self-control. Don't you wish you had self-control more? You know what I mean by self-control? How many of you wish you had this as a, a superpower? You say, what's your superpower? I can fly. What's your superpower? I'm invisible. What's your superpower? Self-control. I can control. How many of you would like this? You know what I mean? Like if you had a button. I wish I had a button on my shoulder that was self-control. You know, anybody like me that you think of the wrong thing to say and then you say it before you can stop yourself from, how many of you know, and you're like, oh, I shouldn't have, I should not have said that. How many of you ever done this before? Don't you wish you had a button? You could be like, beep, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Anybody? How many of you wish your spouse had that button? You could be like, beep, okay, stop. Self-control? Maybe it's self-control when it comes to diet and you're like, I need four more donuts. And you're like, no, beep, I'm good, I'm good. Don't you wish you had that power, that superpower? Or maybe it's when it comes to like, you're really struggling, stressed out, filled with anxiety, and yet there's only one way for you to chill, and it's self-medication. Maybe it's medicine that has not been prescribed to you, or maybe overly subscribed, or maybe it's alcohol or some other escapism, and you're like, I know, I know this is not good for me, but, and you, wish you, you just wish you could, boop. Or maybe it has to do with lust after riches, or lust after, or after the opposite sex, and you wish, man, I just wish I could, wish I could, boop, stop. What I'm saying is this. The wealth that God gives the family of God is far more important than shiny objects. The first thing he gives you is the superpower to say, I have inner strength. Boop, don't need it. I am strong inside. This is your inheritance, friend. Say, man, I wish I was like that. You are like that. You just need to practice this. I'm telling you. The inner strength. Where does this inner strength come from? Well, it comes from the second thought here, and that is the indwelling of Christ. 
Look at, look at the next thought here, the indwelling of Christ. Look, look at how the verse goes through, verse 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Christ, dwell, Jesus, living inside of you. Do you understand that Jesus doesn't occasionally visit his home? Jesus lives in his home. Do you know what Jesus' home is? It's not this building, it's your heart. He lives inside of you. This is what we teach children all the, all the time. Jesus living inside of my heart the moment I ask him to save me. This is biblical. Jesus Christ indwells you. He lives inside of you. So here's my question. Do you use him? Or is he just like a passenger? You know what I mean? Occasionally from the back seat, he's like, hey, maybe we should. You're like, shut up. Okay, let me ask it this way. Anybody here have a favorite uh, celebrity chef? Any favorite celebrity? Anybody watch the Food Network? Food Network people? Raise your hand. Food Network people? Okay. Celebrity chef? Name one. Sh- shout one out. Yes. Gordon Ramsay. We do. We love Gordon Ramsay. He, he says a lot of bad stuff, but we love him. We love him. He's vulgar, but we love Gordon Ramsay. Maybe he's here today. Sometimes he's in Vegas. Welcome, Gordon. We're glad you're here. We love Gordon Ramsay, right? Fantastic. Great guy. You're an idiot sandwich. I love this part, right? I love this. <laughs> we love Gordon Ramsay. He's fantastic. Okay. Anybody else? Somebody else? Favorite celebrity chef? Raise your hand. What? Uh, Giada. Oh, have you been down to Giada's downtown right there on Tropicana? And, and oh, incredible. Yeah, she's great. Somebody else? Anybody else? Bobby Flay. Bobby Flay. Bobby Flay. No, okay. Imagine your favorite celebrity chef and imagine that they are actually related to you. And it's Christmas time. And you're going to have a family reunion. And Bobby Flay is going to stay down the hall at your house or whoever, and then they ask you the question, hey, I'm looking forward to coming, what's on the menu? And you say to them one very obvious statement, whatever you make is on the menu. (laughs) Because if Gordon Ramsay is coming to Christmas, Gordon Ramsay's making dinner, you know what I'm talking about? And they might say, ah, but I'm on vacation, and the answer is no, 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 we're on vacation, it's time for you to cook for us, because what kind of a foolish family would not take advantage of the chef in the home? God says in this passage, Christ lives inside of you. What what are you doing? The idea is not Christ lives inside of you, make you feel guilty if you ever do anything bad, you're gonna embarrass him. That's not the point. Christ lives inside of you. Why are you trying to live your life apart from the power of Christ? All you have to do when you don't know what to do is go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I can't do this. You gotta do this. You got to do this for me. I'm tapping into your power. I'm asking you to do what I cannot do. I cannot say no to this person. Boop. I cannot say no to this thing. God help me. Do you see? So it tells us what we actually have in Christ. What do we have? We have inner strength that comes from the indwelling of Christ. And thirdly, look look at this, which comes, which develops an increased stability in life. Christians should be the most stable people the world has ever seen. Why? Because we have inner strength that comes from the indwelling of Christ. This incre- you, have you ever seen people in life that their life is just all over the place? I mean, they're like, oh, come on, over. And then what do you see? You see some people and their life seems relatively calm and stable. You see, that's personality. That has nothing to do with personality, friend. There is a stability that can come in your life 
as you have inner strength from the dwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now, what does it say? Look at what the scripture says. It describes stability in this way, that you being rooted like a tree and grounded in love like a building. He gives two metaphors to explain what he's talking about. He says what happens with this indwelling of Christ, what happens when Christ is really ruling and reigning in your life is you become stable like, a, like an oak tree planted deep in the roots, it roots deeply in the ground. Nothing can bother you. You're like a building that has been built upon a solid foundation. That foundation, Paul tells us later, is Christ himself. And nothing can destroy you. Jesus said it's like the winds and the waves can come and smash against your house, but because you're built on a solid foundation, nothing will destroy you. Do you see the stability you have? in Christ, and only in Christ. This is the riches. You see, we're not talking about gold and silver and precious stones. Friend, what we're talking about here is that you have the ability to have inner strength from the indwelling of Christ, that it gives you an increased stability in a crazy, unstable world. You say, what's gonna happen next year? I don't know, but I can tell you this, you can be fine through it all. That surpasses anything the stock market can do to you or for you next year. Which leads us to number four, incomprehensible love. Why do we have inner strength from the indwelling of Christ that leads to increased stability? Here's why. Because of the incomprehensible love of Christ in our lives. It means this, God loves you so much you just can't even fully understand how and why he does. You ever wonder why God loves you? Like when you're really honest with yourself. You're like, God so loved the world, of course he loved me, look at me. I'm one of the good ones. I've been looking around. There's a lot of pathetic humans, but clearly I'm one of the good ones. And then you get real with God, right? You have one of those moments where you get real with God and real with yourself, and you're like, I think I might not be one of the good ones. I might be on the, the higher scale of the bad ones. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm not like Hitler, but I'm like not the one. I'm not Mar uh, uh, Mother Teresa either, you know? And then you get really honest with God, and you realize, I really am, like Paul said last week, less than the least of all the saints, and his love becomes, honestly, it becomes incomprehensible. Why, God, why would you love me this way? And it describes it here. Look at what it says. This is the wealth we have in Christ that we may be able to comprehend. He wants you to understand his love. He wants you to comprehend with all the saints, with all the Christians, what is the width and the length and the depth and the height of his love. What is the width of his love? His love is so wide it can reach to every, every person around the world. That's the width of his love. What is the length of his love? The length of his love goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden and goes all the way to the last day of the apocalypse. That's the length of God's love. What is the depth of his love? His love is so deep that he'll reach to the deepest gutter and help out the worst person and bring them out and help them become like Christ. What is the height of his love? It's so high it reaches to the heights of heaven. That's God's love. And it's offered all to you who are in Christ. This is your inheritance. So the reason we have an inner strength because of the indwelling of Christ that leads to an increased stability is because of the incomprehensible love of God, verse 19. To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. That means to know the unknowable, to take the beauty of God's love and the dimensions of his, his grace and to study it and to know it and to see it like no other is able to. Why? So that you can be filled with the fullness of God. Yet, 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 yet. 
you have an enemy. You have an enemy that's gonna be talked about extensively in chapter six of Ephesians. And that enemy doesn't want you to know you have a family, he wants you to feel alone. That enemy doesn't want you to know that you can have stability and strength in your life and wealth in your life. He wants you to feel like you're all alone and have nobody and it's all on you. He wants you to be insecure and worried about the future when God says you have access to all this wealth. Do you understand? That leads us to the third thought, Pastor Josh. Am I taking full advantage of all that I have in Christ? Well, first of all, you have advantage of entrance into the global family, access to unsearchable riches, and lastly here, you have the ability to be plugged into the transformational power of God. That means, very simply, God can change you. Say that with me. God can change me. Say it with me. Say, God can change me. Say that with me. God can change me. So one more time. Say, God can change me. Say it again. Say it again. God can change me. Yes. Some of you are like, Pastor, can you talk with us about how God can change him? No, no, no. Let's talk about how God can change you. How many of you believe God can change people? Say amen. amen. Like, man, I really hope he can change them. No, God can change you. And that's the focus of these last verses. Look, look what it says. It says, now to him that is giving praise now to God, who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to his power. Look, he is able to heal you. He is able to change you. He is able to save you. Maybe you're here today and you say, I've sinned a lot. I'm a pretty bad person. God can save you and he can change you. He really can. That's what it's saying here. According to the power that works in us, I love how it says he can do more than you can ask or think. According to the power, the word power there is in the original language is dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamite. It's explosive power. It's resurrection power. It's the same power that Jesus used to raise himself from the grave. To him be glory from the church in Christ Jesus to all generations, all generations forever and ever. Amen. You have access to that power in our family room. Our fa you have a family room? How many of you have a family room where you do, uh, we, we do Christmas in our family room. It's the same room every year. We do, we do movie night in our family room. That's where we watch The Mandalorian. You know what I'm talking about? That's our family room. And in our family room, if you were sitting there, you might notice an outlet. It's a white outlet. And in that white outlet, there is, it's stained by, um, there's, a, there's, a, there's like a burn mark with smoke. It's like burst out of there, like lightning hit it at some point. And you might say to me, Pastor, how did that, that stain get there? And I would not tell you which child is so dumb <laughs> to have at some point put a metal object in there and it, you know, and it's still there. Say, who would do such a thing? I won't tell you who he was. You understand? <laughs> I'm not gonna say it wasn't him. Oh, okay, well, never mind. All right. Huh? It was Heather. No, it wasn't. It was, now, some of you might say, well, what kind of parenting is that? You should have put a, a little plastic thing in there to protect. No, we like to train our children by life experience. <laughs> it's a great point. We had six children. We only have three now. But these ones, the, the survival of the fittest, it works. Like, they're, they're doing great. Just kidding. So why do we leave that stain there? 
Why is it there? Well, it reminds us. It reminds us. What does it remind us of? That there is great power just beyond that ledge. You just have to plug in. Christian, it's not that you don't have an outlet to God. It's that some of us just don't plug into the outlet. It's right there. It's right. Jesus said it this way when he was talking to his disciples the night he was crucified. Jesus said in John chapter 15 and verse 5, he said, without me, you can do nothing. So here we are trying to live life in our own strength, with our own wealth, with our own intellect, with our own mind, with our own abilities. And even those of us who call ourselves believers in Jesus try to do it on our own. And I'm telling you, you have way more wealth than that. What do you, what do you, look, look at me, look at me, I love you. What are you doing? Stop it. You need to tap into the power of God. Look, all I am, all I am is the guy on the cruise saying to you, you've been eating peanut butter in your room? Oh, I'm just glad I get to go to the destination. I'm just glad I'm going to heaven. Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> there is a lot that you're missing out on. And the deeper you go with Christ and the more you plug in and the more you study his scripture and the more you know about God, I'm telling you, friend, this cruise is a lot better than you realize it is. Chapters one, two, and three of the book of Ephesians are all doctrine. That's what we've been studying these months. Deep theology. You might be asking the question, okay, I'm in. I want to plug into the power of God. How do I do that practically? Great question. That's what chapters four, five, and six of Ephesians focus on. That's what they tackle. And when we come back for this sermon series, chapters four, five, and six, for months, I'm going to teach you the practicalities based upon the doctrine we've been studying for months. I cannot wait to go into it. We'll talk more about it after we pray. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word today, the beautiful truths that you've shown us. Lord, you've allowed us to see so much in chapters two and three of the book of Ephesians. You've allowed us to see how amazing it is that you've sacrificed yourself for us. You've allowed us to see the beauty that suffering does come, but it comes in that you are fully in control of all that comes from it. That a wealth that we have inside of you is absolute, oh God, and it is complete. And all we have to do to access all of this is to have faith in you, believe for salvation by grace through faith. Help us now as we leave this place to truly live out these truths that we've talked about. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.